0: The most pleasant exhaustion podcast is brought to you by High Echelon. You can find them at highecheloncpa.com. High Echelon PC is a nationwide CPA firm in Atlanta focused on a great client experience. High Echelon provides top quality work with total transparency, so clients always know exactly what they're getting. They believe accounting doesn't need to be complicated and that clients should always get the experience they deserve, which includes top-notch accounting, tax and payroll services, timely communication, complete data flow, and the best automation and security. Book a call or drop them a line at their website, highecheloncpa.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Elemental Altitude Training Center. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com. Elemental Altitude is Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. At Elemental Altitude's state-of-the-art indoor training center, they are capable of simulating elevation up to 24,000 feet. Training in the thinner air and lack of oxygen prompts an increase in red blood cells, meaning that more oxygen can be delivered to your working muscles on race day. Athletes undertaking all sorts of goals from rugged mountain climbs to flat sea level marathons to Ironman triathlons train in the hypoxic environment created at elemental altitude. I trained there several times myself ahead of my successful race at the London Marathon in 2022. In addition, Elemental Altitude hosts a variety of physiological testing, such as sweat testing, blood lactate testing, VO2 max testing, and a variety of metabolic testing, which can tell you your resting metabolic rate and the types and amounts of fuel you're burning at different training and racing intensities. Drop them a line at info at ElementalAltitude.com if you have questions or you want to set up an appointment. Again, their website is ElementalAltitude.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at BluePineappleTravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel is an agency of experienced travel advisors who help you design the perfect trip. Blue Pineapple Travel Advisors are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. They love to help people plan their travel, whether it's for a race, a family trip, a weekend getaway, or the trip of a lifetime. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group inside the U.S. or abroad, Blue Pineapple Travel can plan exactly the trip that you want. Find them online at bluepineappletravel.com and see some of the great places that folks who have worked with Blue Pineapple Travel go on their Instagram, at bluepineappletravel. Finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast is brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance's mission is to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL Coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust the training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and to find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. Thanks to all of our sponsors who help us bring you the most pleasant exhaustion podcast. and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast brought to you by High Echelon PC, Elemental Altitude Training Centers, ITL Coaching and Performance, and Blue Pineapple Travel. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys, and I'm a college professor at Midterm.
1: My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a mom to three girls and a CPA.
2: (laughs) And my name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm an engineer. I'm the husband to a beautiful wife, Melissa, and apparently I run a hotel for African boys that want to play soccer at NC State.
0: I feel like there's a story there. <laughs> that is not a way that I've heard you introduce yourself before, even though you have <laughs> talked about your son from South Africa, um, uh Are you now having more than just him staying at your house?
2: So Wednesday... I got a phone call from Vazumzi in the middle of the day. And Vazumzi has just passed his driver's test. It took three times. um, And we have a vehicle for him, and he drives down to NC State for physical therapy and training. And we have a lot of rules. So the very first thing he says when I pick up the phone in the middle of the day, when he should be just training, is Coach, I am okay. And the car is not damaged. (laughs) (laughs) I said, "Vizumzi, I am so glad for both of those things. What what's going on? And he said and he tells me this story about uh, they have a Ghanaian player, uh, Lawson, who uh, was coming is coming to play this uh, fall with NC State. He's going to play center back. And he was basically rushed out of Ghana uh, to to get to the States um so that he could take advantage of his scholarship and and playing for nc state because of the rush aspect of it he had no place to stay because it's too early for the school to admit him into their housing for them to really pay for anything so uh Vizumzi was coyly asking if he could stay with us until Sunday when I was gonna say he has a place
0: to stay now
2: (laughs) and that's what we said and that's you know Melissa and I talked quickly and uh I called the coach and I said hey I heard about uh and we had done this we had actually done this just last year for another player from NC State his name is Junior Uh, he's actually from South Africa like Vizumzi. but Vizumzi had sort of been his team buddy the guy communicating with Lawasin in Ghana and um, so we met lawassen last night uh, to, to just put in perspective, he was basically running away from people um, to, to stay safe prior to leaving the country. And he had nothing. Uh, he had his passport and visa that an agency had helped him get so that he could get here. But other than that, he had the clothes he was wearing. Uh, we, we talked a little over dinner last night. But I I realized in the middle of our dinner, I looked at him, I said, you have never been out of Ghana before. Have you? He says, no. I said, you've never been on an airplane before. Have you? He said, Hmm. no. And he said, in fact, when I got on the airplane, he said, I haven't slept since Wednesday at six o'clock or something. And it was our time now Thursday at eight o'clock. And he said, I was afraid to go to sleep because I was afraid I would wake up back in Ghana.
0: Hmm.
2: And I was like, gosh, Gosh, you know he's he is he is in awe of the uh, opportunity he's been given not just to play but to get a degree. He is so excited about getting a degree and then taking that back to Ghana and you know helping helping others like him. So yeah, it's really cool. So I made a joke of it uh, basically to goad you into letting me talk about it. <laughs> I mean
1: you kind of have a halfway house for these kids, don't you?
2: We do. Yeah, it's, it's a, I call it a halftime cool. house because it's soccer half-time
1: house. OK, yeah, that's great. That's awesome.
2: <laughs> but no, we and it's 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 really cool to have another connection with another player. So now we have four kids on the team that have lived in our house or that we have a significant attachment to. Oh, and I, I was taking Mabel for a walk this morning and Watson met me outside and I was like, oh, did you want to go for a walk with us? He's like, no, I, I wanted to give you this. And you guys can see it. Our people on the podcast can't see it.
0: Looks like a bracelet. It,
2: it is a it is a hand painted um, some sort of pottery type uh, bracelet. And he said he had bought four of them and he was giving them to people here in the States that helped him when he got here. And so he gave one to his coach very good um, that, that helped him. And then he gave one to me and I'm just like, I'm in awe. I think this is this obviously yeah, meant a lot cool. to him. And so it's really cool.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Keep up the good work, Eric. The Hall Hotel is the place to be. I've stayed in the Hall Hotel before. The Hall Time
2: House. Um, you know who so... else stayed at my house once?
0: Not Michelle. Brian. Well, nice that's... segue to our friend Brian, to whom we should give a, a, a shout out to. So, um, uh...
1: OK. I feel like I should preface this for Brian's sake by saying every message <laughs> I've gotten from George has been concern, caring, empathy. This is what's going to happen for Blue Ridge Relay. What, what makes you think is this little, is going to
0: be any different? Um, no, our uh, friend our, our friend Brian Hetherington, who is a member of the uh, uh, Blue Ridge Relay team that both Eric and I, of course, compete on. Um, that We've talked about a great deal on this podcast, and the Blue Ridge Relay is now merely 12 weeks away, which means we're going to begin ramping up our conversations about it here for 2023. Um, I was going to be getting Brian to come on the podcast in late August because he was planning on doing an Ironman then, um, but that is not going to happen because he crashed in the Eagle Man 70.3 in Maryland over the weekend, separating his shoulder and fracturing his hip. Crashed? So crashed, indeed crashed, fell over something. We haven't really gotten the full story just yet, Um, but one way or another, he hit the deck um, and got up and did the remaining 40 miles of the bike like a badass um but then never left t2 because he could tell that something wasn't right obviously um and so he uh went to the orthopedist or first went to the the emergency room of course and that's where they diagnosed him with the uh, separated shoulder and the fractured hip uh and then went to the orthopedist a few days later and got a good long-term prognosis they didn't tell him that he's never going to be able to run again they didn't tell him that that he's going to have permanent damage in his hip or in his shoulder or anything else like that which is obviously good news um but short term which is you know something that's also important to us given the fact that he's on the blue ridge relay team uh it's not quite as great um he has about three or four weeks that he's gonna be spending on crutches um and then uh, uh several weeks of physical therapy a slow rebuild and at least probably about six months until he's back to full activity um,
1: But how's the bike
0: that's a fine question and none of us have actually asked him that question yet michelle <laughs> we have Wait, however what? suggested i'm super impressed with you <laughs> You've clearly, like been, you've clearly been watching the Netflix thing? documentary about the Tour de France.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, I I'm don't feel like... I'm thinking about
0: inviting you onto the cycling podcast next week with Justin and Justin.
1: By the way, if there was ever a year where I could hang with you guys, I'm I'm killing it. With, thank you, Netflix. Thank you.
0: <laughs> right on, right on. Uh, yeah, actually, it's funny. We haven't actually asked him how the bike is. I, I kind of want to know now. Um, Eric, why don't you go ahead and text him real quick while we're while we're talking about
2: it here, but... Um, yeah, I we feel are, like course... we kind of opened that conversation when we started sending him pictures of the kind of bike maybe he should start riding. That's true. That's a good point. That's a but good point. What did you guys
1: send him? Like a Hilton Head Island cruiser? Like a?
0: So no, no, like no, like a, it was like a Barbie, lo- like a child's <laughs> bicycle, like <laughs> yeah. bike yeah. with a yeah. baby seat, training wheels.
1: Well, <laughs> well yeah, his training his, wheels.
0: his wife sent him a picture of a child all wrapped up in bubble wrap and saying that that's <laughs> going to be his new tri suit from now on. So yeah, so she kind of started the whole thing. But is she
1: pissed? I bet she's pissed. Yeah. No. It's really hard to go into. Do they have young kids? Do they have kids, not, like?
0: Uh, no, they have they have uh, uh, girls that are older than my sons. Oh, um, okay. So so, so kids, but not young kids. They're probably. It's about hard the same to age go. As your Kids.
1: Okay, uh, it's hard to go into summer. Like if they had your age kids being, sort of incapacitated.
0: So sure, sure. No, I, she's not pissed. I mean, uh, I you know if if she was gonna get mad at him for crashing in a bike race, then he wouldn't be bike racing in the first place. Um, he wouldn't be be triathlon in the first place right so um she she, she's obviously not happy about it and she obviously feels for him um but but i don't think she's mad at him um kind of the the, the same way the rest of us feel we're we're certainly not mad at him uh we feel bad um but you're uh,
1: giving him such a hard time
0: we're giving him a hard time because that's just sort of our our ethic michelle (laughs) did we give you a hard time
1: yeah it's so unfair i I want to say on the
0: very last podcast we had I, I mentioned that that is my love language. That, that that's how I express
2: my appreciation for others. Um, I
1: know, but like Brian could have really been hurt. Like a bike no. crash could be really no, no, serious.
2: Okay, okay, we okay. Were taken. In communication with him, yeah. Like
0: and and if he was like in the ICU or something, we wouldn't be making fun of him. But Got it. but okay. but he's he's on the road to recovery now. Um, okay. And and so he's fair game. <laughs> um, I'm here
1: for you, Brian. Sorry, I, these guys aren't.
0: And the and and the rest of us have also begun to plot out different potential scenarios for the Blue Ridge Relay uh, that includes Brian uh, includes multiple additional pages to the spreadsheet yes <laughs> uh, which includes Brian running potentially one leg potentially two legs um, or of course no legs whatsoever um, no stages of the race um, hopefully he'll still come um, hopefully he'll still join us for the race and be in the van um, but uh, but but whether he's going to be running or not. That's something that I don't think we can count on, but we certainly have our fingers crossed just because I know that he'll want to as well. And that would also be a positive indication about his recovery. If he was able to run just a little bit, we'll see. We'll see. Sure. Um, shout out to you, Brian. Um, we, uh, we do hope you feel better. You're taking your calcium. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. While we're talking about people who are injured. I also want to give a shout out to Mary Jo Rosso. Um, Everybody will recall that at the beginning of the year, the first several podcasts we did, I invited people to to uh, reach out to us and let us know if they're willing to come on the podcast and talk about different races they were going to do. Uh, And Mary Jo, who Michelle knows, but but I've never actually met in person, uh, reached out and said, yes, I'm doing this race on June 17th um, in Austria with this ultra marathon. It should be really, really cool and and sounded fantastic. And I was excited for her, Um, but she got injured. Um, And um, I think she did what a lot of us do when we have these major targets. She tried to hang on to the possibility of doing for the race or doing the race for as long as she possibly could. Um, and then about two weeks ago, she reached out to me via email and said, I'm not going to be able to do it. I've decided that I, I can't do this race. It's, it's, it's not a good idea for my long term health. And I probably wouldn't really enjoy it because I'm that injured. Um, yeah. And so, Mary Jo, I think, didn't you say, Michelle, she went ahead and made the trip to Austria anyway?
1: Oh, yeah, they're there. I mean, not only no. are they there, but um, we can talk about this a little bit later. But Worlds for Mountain and Trail Running was last week and it was in Innsbruck and they Had the most incredible live coverage. They had cameramen on bikes with the male leaders. And then they had men literally running, holding cameras um, up with the lead pack for the women's races. And Mary Jo posted pictures yesterday, like, on top of these mountains. And she's like, it is so steep here. And all the signs (laughs) from Worlds are still up. And I cannot believe they ran up these hills. And I'm like, yeah, they ran crazy. Like, the vertical, you know, gain and loss in these races were crazy. Um, Mm. But it looked her pictures because I kept on sending you guys stuff last week like this is their job they get to run here look at how gorgeous this is and she did, uploaded yeah. pictures yesterday and it's like the same pictures it's so gorgeous um so yeah it's happy they got to make the trip and
0: okay tell me this Michelle so the the ultra and trail world championships right yeah. um uh yeah. they don't normally have this sort of coverage they were kind of breaking new ground on their coverage with the streaming stuff and the the people with cameras and the mountain bikes and all that sort of thing. Right.
1: Yeah. But I think generally cause, cause, speaking, cause, cause, cause
0: it felt to me like you're like an early adopter of watching this coverage um, because I, you were totally into it and you were like watching hours every single day over the course. I watched, of that.
1: Yeah. I watched every single from the minute I woke up until um, it was over. So there was four different races and I think um, UTMB has had this type of coverage and we have a little bit of it at like a few races maybe one or two races in America. I mean, we're going to see this at Hard Rock, like Hard Rock just announced yesterday, like, you know, new epic coverage cameras on course. There's like no cell signal out there. Anyway, so, um, but yeah, they just, uh, if UTMB could do it, you know, and some of these other races could do it, then um, World Athletics basically got it done and it was incredible. So I do think it's new. I don't think it's like brand new in the sense that there's never been done before and they didn't have like a prototype for how to do it. Um, Because we have seen a lot of, kind of like live in the field stuff from UTMB and a few other races. But this was really, this was incredible. Like anybody who complained, I mean, there were some complaints. Are you ever going to show the women? And it's just like, oh my gosh, they're, I just thought they did a great job. Um, mm-hmm. So.
0: So, well, you complain about them not showing or other, you said other people complain about them not yeah, showing people, the women.
1: Yeah. I mean, they like, these are, people, you know, I mean, the bikers would, like, they would, like, run into the side of a fence and just make sure the camera was safe. And uh, one of the guys ran, like, ran his abdomen literally into the side of a fence with following the lead women. Like, some of the the races were into town and out of town and um, in backyards, literally through other people's backyards. One of the male leaders of one of the races, maybe it was the ADK, I forget, but, like, he went through the backyard, so then he had to come back and then go to the other neighbor's yard. I mean, I think <laughs> dissing on this type of coverage when it's it's literally by like another human who's also breathing heavy and you know full at almost full exertion is a little bit like ridiculous. Um, so I felt bad for the complaints. I thought it was incredible. Well, what, so.
0: what, what I meant, is, did you think those complaints were valid though? In terms, oh no, of, no,
1: no, no so, no. so so
0: they were showing they a lot of women's coverage then.
1: Yeah, I mean, you saw the leaders. You saw you saw both. You know, you saw both groups and the leaders now. You know, for the for the American women, you know, there wasn't that much coverage in the races where we didn't do that well. But at least, um, you know, like in the vertical race, and the Grace and Murphy was took a third and took first, and two of the races, and there was full coverage of her, like mm. massive amounts you could you got to see of her. Um, so I thought, and the commentator on the English feed was i thought he was awesome um a little bit silly at times but just you know it was <laughs> like he's ta- he's having to talk for you know the men for the adk like they were out there 10 hours so this guy is on camera he is talking mm-hmm. a voiceover for 10 hours yeah. uh whatever cover you know whatever drone or person or mm-hmm. uh aid station film that they picked up so i thought it was great and i feel like there should that, be no nobody yeah. should be complaining like all that, you people that, that's a skill. shut up
0: yeah the the, the yeah, ability hope. the ability to to carry a broadcast. To, for, to carry commentary over a multi-hour broadcast, whether it's for an Ironman or for a Tour de France stage or something else like that, that's difficult to do. Yeah. I loved it. I that's loved every skill. minute of it. So yeah, Very good. Very yeah. good. I'm glad you watched it so much. Um, the Race Across America started this week, um, as many of you probably know. Um, the individual started on Tuesday. We're recording this on Friday, as we said just a minute ago. Um, and then the teams will start tomorrow on Saturday. So... Um, The race across the West, which starts at the same time as the individual RAM folks, um, uh, most of them are finishing up here. That goes to Durango, Colorado from Oceanside uh, for a mere distance of 880 miles as opposed to the full 3000 mile RAM distance. Um, So we're kind of continuing to watch that. The Giro d'Italia wrapped up a week or so ago. Primoz Roglic won his first ever Giro d'Italia. First time a, a Slovakian has ever won. So good for
2: him. Um, and, uh, and, Michelle actually knows who that is now, oh, So but you could pick him out in a lineup. Right. Right. I do know who he is. That's pretty he good. rides
1: for Jumbo Visma, right? He yeah, does. That's Look right. Yeah, so oh, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Look at you. Um, uh,
0: and so, yeah, all sorts of kind of cool stuff happening here. Um, and, and that's actually the main thing we were going to talk about today is just sort of what we've been watching and and the various things have been going on in the world of endurance sports lately. Um, also,
1: he started his, athletic, he was a ski racer or maybe a ski jumper before ski jumper. he got, yeah, yeah, before he got on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is well, why, yeah, this is, so, I'm so
1: good at this. And yeah. so,
0: so it's interesting. <laughs> so his story is interesting um, with his background as a ski jumper um, for, for, for a variety of reasons, but two of which stand out to me. Number one, he got out of ski jumping because he said it was too dangerous. Um, and so don't instead, get <laughs> instead he got into pro bike racing, right? Yeah. He's clearly a brilliant athlete. Um, he's clearly capable of, of, of riding in the pro Peloton and winning grand tours, right? Um, he used to ride a bike in order to, to train for ski jumping. Um, and so he has a background in cycling for sure. Um, but yeah, he left one sport because it was too dangerous and went to another sport that a lot of us wring our hands at how dangerous it is literally Yesterday. There was a crash in the Tour de Suisse that killed Gino Mater, a Swiss rider, um, in his home tour, in stage five of his home tour. He was going downhill at nearly 100 kilometers an hour and crashed into a ravine. Um, They actually resuscitated him. They took him out on a helicopter and he died less than 24 hours later. So um, um, deaths are not common in cycling, but they do happen. Um, And certainly really ugly injuries are commonplace. Um, so, so yeah, the terrible news there, but then the other thing about it is that he actually himself, Primos Roglic is prone to crashing a lot. Um, and, and that's sort of ironic given the fact that he left ski jumping in order to be safer in cycling and yet he crashes a ton, but it's also an indication of the fact that he came into cycling a little bit later. And so he didn't grow up developing a lot of the skills that a lot of other pro cyclists who began cycling and racing as literally nine-year-olds and ten-year-olds developed, um, and so some people point to that as the reason why he crashes so much. And so he he has the physiological ability to do that. Um, I think like there's something George... to that. Oh. I think there's something to that. Yeah, um, because like, is
1: that a proprioceptive type of thing, or is that just
0: it's 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 literally skills? Um, skills. It's 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 literally understanding how to handle a bike. Um, how, how, how to save save something as you begin to fall down, how, how to, to bunny hop over curves and how to, to skid in a way that you don't end up sliding, um, with the bike out from
2: under you. Um, I think it's also the pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. You see things developing before they develop. So you react before Mm -hmm. they become a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I, I think a lot of this is, um, it's like heuristics, you know, it, It just happens you don't have to think about it Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. the guys who have been doing it since they're six years old Mm
0: -hmm.
2: i think so too and ladies i didn't mean to make that yeah you know we're talking about the tour so Mm -hmm.
1: i don't know anything about the women's tour so sorry
2: well
0: they only had the first women's tour in a while last year so so that's fair um, if 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 there's enough uh if there's enough interest and uh and sales for The Tour de France Unchained uh, here on Netflix, then maybe they'll end up doing one of the women's tour as well. Um, I do know that they have renewed it for a second season already. And so the film crew is going to the Tour de France uh, and they're going to be filming a season two, um, which is exciting. That's
1: very exciting. Um, So,
2: Michelle, you're four episodes in?
1: No, I'm on the third episode still. So I I had to take one of my runs outside this week. It was very sad.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And what's your impression?
1: Oh it's great. Um I really appreciate um just like the storyline that they're kind of pulling people um it's a little bit more understandable for me I think than formula 1 because I had never, like, I knew absolutely nothing about formula 1 and I've been trying to pretend for a long time that I know something about cycling. So (laughs) I felt it a little bit easier to like absorb the information. And I did watch probably more of the Tour de France last year than any other year before. So it's helpful for me that some of the scenes that they show, some of the crashes, some of the like, oh, there's a median in the road. It's like, oh, I remember that, like watching that live last year. Yeah. Um, So I uh, it's interesting because I know George knows this, but I run with a, you know, with a group of almost mostly triathletes on, on Thursdays. And I was sitting with about, I don't know, a dozen of them yesterday after our run. And I asked, is anybody watching it? And they were all like, no, what is it? And I'm like, how are you guys not watching this? <laughs> <laughs> like, they're like, oh, well, <laughs> they're, it's like, I'm like, okay, fine. Triathlon, road cycling. It's totally different. But in my mind, it's like, okay, they're all riding bikes.
2: Mm, um, But yeah, I, but I know totally it's different. different. Um, yeah. But
1: I think, you know, I'm, it's so helpful just to see all that goes in to just getting these guys like to the start line. It's, um, I mean, it's, it can't be, I'm sure there's like millions and millions of dollars in it, but it's also, it's also bikes. It's not like cars. Right. So I'm, I'm trying to think about it in terms of like how much capital goes into something like that versus um, Formula One. And it's hard for me to like, is that the some of these things feel like you could not possibly spend more money than they spend, you know, in Monaco for Formula 1 or whatever. Um but so I'm interested like in the business side of it also, which they they don't talk about as much I feel like as Formula 1 did, but they talk about it enough to understand that yeah, this is like these guys jobs. <laughs> you know, like they're they've some of the guys that started teams, like their lives basically depend on, you know, the success or failure essentially um at the tour or other races so i would highly recommend it for anyone um for anyone really but if you have the slightest interest in in cycling then this is very helpful so
0: i I think that the uh as far as how much it costs it costs less than formula one sure
1: but it's got to cost a lot but i was gonna
0: say but you'd still be surprised at how much it actually does cost
1: (laughs) well it must there must be there's the sponsors alone and, and the buses and the gear and Okay, like who washes their – what do you call what they ride in? Is it a kit? Do they kits? call it a kit? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They call it a kit. Like who washes that? Like where do they – like are they wearing a new the kit swaniers. every single day? No. one year's. No. Mm-hmm. They're getting like the same kit washed. Like they show up – they don't have a oh, locker I, room because they're on a coach bus. I think bus. they
2: throw that stuff away at the end of the race. They get another one the next they're, day. They're, that they're, stuff's they're, so worn out.
0: Yeah. They 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 do get worn out, but they get worn out in part because of their use. They get worn out in part because of crashing, but they also get worn out in part because they're getting washed so much. Um yeah. So, one of the one of the things that I haven't seen them talking about yet on it because I'm also on episode 3 is the so-called marginal gains that, that, that the the Grenadiers team is famous for. Um okay. and and they formerly were the Sky team. Um but but they kind of became really well known for trying to save energy in really small ways uh, in a lot of areas. And so they said, if we can just save two watts here, three watts here, just let people get 10 more minutes to sleep because of this and 10 more minutes sleep because of that, eventually all that stuff adds up and we can be super successful. Right. Um, yeah. So um, one of their innovations um when they first started about 10 years ago um was to put washing machines on their vans um, on their buses and Got so ra- rather than their soigneurs having to stay up all night and run around in these little small french towns to try and figure out where they could wash these kits in order that people would have possibly wa- uh, clean kits the next day um they actually put washing machines on their bus
1: yeah so i feel like formula one dive like you could learn about the engines and how the cars are made and see a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. So that's kind of, and again, I'm only three episodes in, but that's what I'm left wondering. It's like, okay, well, where do they get all this stuff? And like, how do they pick the bike parts and who rides what type of bike and how did, who washes their stuff? I keep on thinking that. I don't know why I care so much about that. It's like, are they wearing a clean outfit the next day? Is it dirty? I don't know. So
2: I think those are things they can dive into in future seasons if they do this again. Well, they are doing this again, but if Mm -hmm. if they continue with this, I think that they should do a little bit maybe more of the technology look. I think the big push for this season was to see if they could grab the American audience. And what you'll see, what I noticed, gets played out, the storyline that gets played out is it's not one guy wearing the yellow Jersey,
0: mm-hmm. right.
2: They really push the team that's, aspect yeah. of mm-hmm. it. I agree. Yeah. And in what I I've seen think, so far, I agree. Yeah. And they're going to continue to do that and they're going to continue. And so, and it, I think that's cool. I think it's a really important part of the tour. It's, it's not one guy. And at one point, I'm not sure if it's in the first three episodes, but one of the guys says cycling, uh, multi-day cycling is so different than all other ultra sports because all other ultra sports other than like a team um relay or a um adventure like a race yeah. yeah rant or rent, adventure race mm-hmm. it's so individualistic mm-hmm. whereas this is not mm-hmm. so yeah and i and i think people i think people
0: don't understand that right yeah. um and so i i had multiple conversations with people Back when Before Lance Armstrong admitted to doping and and, and all that sort of thing, so back when Lance Armstrong was still held up on a really high pedestal, um, I had multiple conversations with people around that time about he was able to win not only because he was a great cyclist, but because he also always had the best team with him. Um, And his team was all very much dedicated specifically to the goal of getting him to win the race at the end. That was the whole purpose. They weren't trying to win any other jerseys. They weren't trying to win any of the stages. They were solely trying to, to put him where he needed to be in order to win the overall final Tour de France. Right. Um, and people, people would always kind of look at me like, well, what do you mean? I don't understand. Like, you mean he didn't win the race? I'm like, no, he did win the race. But I'm saying you can only win the race if you have a really strong group of supporters out there taking care of you and making sure that you're not expending energy at unimportant times in the race. Um, that you have as much energy as you possibly can for those critical moments, uh, when the race is won or lost. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm glad to see that too. Um, it's funny in episode two, which is the one where they actually focused on Jumbo Visma. They looked at Wout Van Aert. He
1: got in trouble.
0: (laughs) Well, and it's funny because he, he is such a brilliant cyclist and, and they bring him in part because he is so brilliant and he is so strong and he's able to win stages on his own. But then he also has to be a team player for the team to try and help their uh, person who's trying to win the overall race uh, win over the course of three weeks. right? And so in the second episode, they really show a lot of the tension between your individual desires and your individual drive to win and the responsibilities and duties you have to the team. Um, And I think that they did that in a pretty good way. But sure. in showing that tension, they kind of portrayed him in a less flattering way, I think, than he liked. And so he has actually come on record and said that he doesn't really like the documentary all that much. He said that oh, they focused really? on, on drama and, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah.
2: I, I wondered about that. I wondered if they played it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, it makes yeah. him seem like he's not a team player. At the end of the race. And he really is. Yeah. And at the end of the yeah. race he's the reason yeah i I don't want to spoil it for you not like you don't know the outcome right but he's the reason that the outcome is what it is
0: right right yeah i i have so much respect for people like walt van art because he is such a brilliant individual writer and and he wins individually but then he also sacrifices some of his own opportunities in order to play the team role um and that's and that's that's such an incredible thing. Um, there, there are, there are varying degrees to which writers over the course of the past 15 years over the course of the past hundred years have been willing to do that. Um, uh, and I think that he actually really does that. Um, and they, they did say they did actually show him towards the end of episode two. He said, you know, I'll do what I'm supposed to do for the team because without the team, I can't be here. I'm nothing. nothing. He
1: said. Yeah. Right.
0: Um, and yeah, I wish that they, they would
2: have repeated that a couple more times. <laughs> well, um, so do you remember the final stage of the tour? Not,
1: Hey, we're not talking about that yet.
2: No, no, George, <laughs> do you remember what happened in the final stage of the I tour? Do. Yeah. I do. Okay. And if that doesn't tell you right. how valued he is by his team right. and his team leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, come on. I think they played it up because yeah. it's a good storyline, not right. because it's, necessarily 100 percent the truth but because it's a really good storyline and like i said they're trying to show the team aspect yeah so if you show a little conflict on stage two and then you know or episode two and then at the end you show like oh yay we're a team you know i think it tells a good story so and i, and I think that they were tr- they were trying in episode two to capture
0: that that tension but, and, right. and I don't mean tension like personal tension. I mean, the, the, the inherent conflict between the individual nature of cycling and the team nature of cycling. And, yeah. and that's, that's one of the reasons that, that cycling is complex and interesting and fun to watch. Um, and I think that in, in trying to capture that, they might have overplayed their hand a little bit in him being selfish when he's not. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think I texted y'all at the time that, that, I like episode two, but I can see the reason why Art didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I one other thing I'll say about this, and then we'll move on. Um, I uh, I think it's visually stunning. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just yeah. just the the colors, the landscapes, the the movement of the peloton. It is a visually stunning piece of work, um, and and that to me is I, I really like that aspect of it. Um, it's just pretty. You know, um, and I think I do think that, that cycling is a very pretty sport. Um, so that's cool to watch.
2: That's cool to watch. I'll, I'll tell you one of my favorite episodes, and it might be two, but I think it's just one is when they focus on Bidcock. Thomas Bidcock. Pitcock, Yeah. Bidcock. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I, He's great. That guy is. Yeah. That guy's one hell of a rider. Yeah. And, and, the, and some of the stuff they show him doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he's incredible.
0: Um, he, he's incredible. He's exciting. He's he's brilliant. I presume the episode they show is the Aldeweiss episode. Uh, yes, I don't feel knowing, like I've
1: seen that.
0: So you haven't yet because it's not okay. until like stage fifteen or something like that. Right. Okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'll be looking forward to that one. Uh, y'all yeah. get me excited. Now I'm gonna go finish up watching episode three as soon as we well, finish this podcast.
2: And I think that was another <laughs> brilliant piece for um, Netflix to focus on, and mm-hmm. of course they did because Aldeweiss, but. Because I think that kind of, um, that can capture the American audience too. Mm -hmm. Oh, this guy's like a, he's an underdog sort of, you know, he's not really a road racer. He's not Mm -hmm. clean cut, you know, Mm -hmm. and gosh, look what he did. Mm -hmm. And he's a little crazy. He's, yeah, he's, it's a fun episode.
0: Americans do love an underdog. Um, we do love a scrappy underdog for sure. Yep. Um, Very good, very good. Well, all of this, of course, is to preview the Tour de France preview. I will be recording next Friday night with Justin and Justin ahead of the Grand Depart, um, the start of the Tour de France the week after that. So uh, do make sure that you tune in for our yearly preview with Justin Smith and Justin Dugan uh, for the Tour de France. Um, I am 100 days from the Berlin Marathon, y'all. Is it really happening? As of today. I am now 100 days from it.
1: Is it it (laughs) really happening? It's
0: 14 weeks from Sunday um, on September the 24th. So uh, yes, indeed, this race that I signed up for in 2019, (laughs) planning to run in 2020, (laughs) I am now merely 14 weeks and two days from actually competing in, Um, which I was telling my wife this morning, I was like, 100 days, given how long it's been, feels like it's like so close now. And even when we talk about, well, 14 weeks, like a training cycle, how long does that take? 14 weeks. It actually feels kind of close. And and in some ways it feels kind of close in not good ways because I still have some training to do and I still have some weight to lose. Um, but 100 days, I'm going to do like 125 workouts between now and then, right? I'm going to run the Blue Ridge Relay between now and then. I'm going to run uh, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 700 miles probably between now and then. Like I have... I got plenty of time and plenty of fitness, to, plenty of opportunities to gain fitness here. But um, but yeah, this is sort of a, I feel like this week and today in particular is turning a corner to it's suddenly kind of close by.
1: Um, will you do anything differently in the next 14 weeks in preparation for Berlin than you did in preparation for London? Uh,
0: just a little bit. Um, so How so? Uh, uh, well, so you'll recall that the getting ready for London, I actually I had COVID and then well, first I, I I ran ran the New River Marathon, then took some week off, some time off of that, and then had COVID, and so like I my fitness hit like an all time low immediately prior to starting to train for the London Marathon, um, and I certainly am not at my fittest right now, which I shouldn't be. That's okay, but I'm still in a better place than I was 14 weeks out from London, um, and so that's good um i also the blue ridge relay is only two weeks out from berlin which kind of pose a different sort of challenge i'm going to be pacing a friend at a marathon on labor day weekend which is the weekend before the blue ridge relay um and so like that month of september that last three or four weeks is going to look a little bit different um and so i think the one big thing i have to do and this is good because i think I'm, i'm able to do this is that i'm going to need to to get in a lot of those bigger workouts and a lot of those longer runs sooner. Whereas I was forced to move as quickly as I could, but still not very fast because I was so unfit, um, 12, 13 weeks out from London. Um, so, but as far as like physiologically, am I going to do anything different? You know, no, I, I I found the formula that kind of works for me. So you
1: really do need to run 15 miles with me this weekend. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I I told you I would.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm planning so, on it.
0: So what better way to spend Father's Day than abandon my family and go run with Michelle? <laughs> oh, shit.
1: Uh, this reminds me of um, we were in North Georgia two weeks ago and previous guest and friend of the podcast, Pat Benienda, we went to his cabin after I ran with him and he has, you know, I don't know, 45 years of, of running memorabilia up on all the walls. And, uh, he has this like age, he has this winter plate from Callaway gardens marathon. And I remember, um, that's the first marathon I ever ran Mm -hmm. and it was his anniversary, but he met me at like, after it's two loops and he met me, he like, (laughs) he left Terry to come and like run just the second half of the marathon with me on his anniversary. So kudos to all you people, uh, you know, giving up these family days to go running <laughs> but
0: well but i i joke about there's... abandoning my family for it i'm not uh my wife i dropped her off at the airport this morning and so you know she's not around oh um, she's not
1: even here again uh, okay.
0: so no and so my sons uh in order that i'll be able to run with you i'm probably gonna take my sons up to their grandmothers on uh on saturday so so yeah i'll be spending father's day solo as fathers <laughs> do <laughs> I, know, I was gonna say <laughs>
1: Um, Oh man.
0: The Comrades Marathon was last week, um, and there were uh, double course records, actually, which is kind of cool um gerda stein uh won uh, and set a new course record uh in the women's race um the uh course record was 34 years old as a matter of fact um they were in the down course this year because you know sometimes they run up and sometimes they run down sometimes they run from durban up to peter merrittsburg and then on the other years they run down from peter Mer- peter Meritzburg to to um to durban um but the 34 year old down run record uh, had been 55443 um and uh, Gerda stein broke that by 10 minutes uh, she ran 54454 um the on the men's side there was a defending champion a guy named uh, teta Dihana or dijana um and he broke the uh, the record of david gatebe uh, which dated back to 2016 uh, the record was 51819 um, and, uh, he ran, uh, Dijana ran five thirteen fifty eight. 58. So another kind of almost five minutes that he broke it by there. Uh, and matter of fact, the top three all ended up running faster than the old record. So, um, clearly, um, this was a pretty impressive day at the comrades marathon and a nice day for breaking records here, at least on the, uh, the down route of the course. Um, so
1: cool. I feel like, Speaking of breaking records, I'm, I'm glad we're a podcast where people don't, like, count on us for every race result because there's been so much amazing running True. the last few weeks. Yes. Every single race, every single high school NCAA perf- Agreed every record is is falling so fast that i don't even it could literally be in the span of 45 minutes one like a men's 1500 and a men's 5000 and you can forget about how incredible the 1500 was because the race 45 minutes later is is also incredible You're right. like if we podcasted amazing race results we would need to like block off a day of our lives probably <laughs> but but the comrades run was was spectacular she's yeah. uh she's she's a phenomenal marathoner phenomenal yeah. road runner really so yeah
0: clearly for sure for sure absolutely um yeah so let's talk about at least a couple of those results um, because I totally agree with you I mean the the record performances and the amazing results have becoming thick and fast over the course of the of the last short while here let's talk about just a few that have stood out to us uh, Michelle you want to talk about the ones that have stood out to you the most first
1: um well I would say just you know coming off of um it's interesting I don't know. Okay, well, yesterday was yeah. No, I can't. I don't, I can't pick a few, but let's just go. Yesterday we had a women's mile um, in Oslo that was spectacular. I think Corey Mcgee ran uh, a four eighteen, and she basically ran the fourth fastest mile in American history. And Nikki hits right behind her. Um, they ran the fifth fastest mile. They were third and fourth. So Corey was third and Nikki was fourth.
0: Is that the the dream mile in Oslo?
1: Yeah. uh, Incredible. Um, And then actually, I'm pretty sure Josette Norris was also in that race, but this is how ridiculous it is. I didn't even realize this morning that she also ran a 421 mile there, which I believe is an outdoor personal best for her. Hmm. Um, But the records of Corey and Nikki, I mean, that's, that's kind of the performance I feel like Corey McGee has spent the last 10 years trying to put together and it wasn't on a world stage and it wasn't on an Olympic stage, but I think she's the type of runner that really thrives off of um, experience and confidence before these championship races and I don't think there could be like a more perfect outcome for her just ahead of USA's and, and hopefully ahead of world's. Um, but also at the same meet we had the men's 1500 which was absolutely insane i mean i feel like we watched 1500s for years and if somebody broke 330 that was that right. was the topic right? right um and in this men's 1500 did we have eight. nine guys eight guys under 330 yeah. um and then obviously um running just you know, I sometimes wonder when he's, when he's just dominating these races, um, when he turns around and, and he, and this is more speaking at the two mile, but it's like, who is he looking for?
2: Right. Yeah. Like he's, <laughs> he's so dominating. Like
1: he's, he's, he's clearly um, just has a gear that, that nobody else has. Um, and, and I like that he's sort of his demeanor this season has sort of been that of what I feel like you usually see with the sprinters. Like he's acting sort of like, he's just bringing it to he has some um, swagger yeah exactly he's like you know like well come get it you know or i wish i had some everybody like i'm running forward and everybody else is just hanging on and he's like i wish i had somebody to hang on to but there's just nobody there better than me um you know he said something like that in his post-race interview so no so
0: so, so to be clear in oslo he ran the 1500 he ran 327 to win that race in which uh, seven other people also went under 330. One of the people who went under 330 was American Yared Nagoose, who set a new 1500 meter record for American men, uh, beating the record of Bernard Lagat, which was about 15 years old, I want to say. Um, so pretty impressive, continuing a pretty impressive season there for Yared Nagoose. But the other record that Ingerbritsen set that is so impressive was in Paris. Um, and this is the one that's kind of getting most of the headlines. And that was the two-mile record. Um, they don't often run the two-mile. They run the 3,000 meters indoors. They run the 3,000-meter steeplechase outdoors. They run the 5,000 meters outdoors. Um, but they don't often run two miles. Back in 1997, Daniel Komen ran 3:57, ran under, ran two miles, averaging under four minutes per mile. Um, and Jacob Ingerbritsen felt like he could beat that. Uh and so asked the organizers in Paris to put on a two mile and they did, and he ran 754.
1: <laughs> he ran a workout leading up to that race. Um, I think maybe the Tuesday, maybe maybe somewhere five to seven days out, he ran six by eight hundred and it was unbelievable, but he felt like he didn't execute it as fast or as perfectly as he wanted to. So he repeated that six by eight hundred workout right. two days later, before right. ahead of that two mile world record.
0: Right. And, um, the, and the last two 800s were each under 150. I'll also point out, so the the text thread that, that Eric and I are on with our Blue Ridge Relay crew, we often share some of these results with one another whenever it pops up. Um, and Jacob Ingebrigtsen, when he ran the two-mile new world record, his first mile was four flat. And then his second mile was 353, which... Take a beat and let that digest.
1: <laughs> he said he could go faster.
0: His second mile, he probably could. If you if you're running your second mile seven seconds faster than your first one, you probably could have paced it a little bit better. Um, but but yeah, he ran three fifty three for the second mile. Uh, and our friend Brett pointed out on the text thread that that Dano Komen remains the only person to ever run two miles in a row at sub four minute pace. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> um, so speaking of, of other records, one of the records that, that I was most impressed by over the course of the last short while here is from Lex Young. Um, Lex Young is an identical twin along with Leo Young, um, and they're both the younger brothers of, of Nico Young. Um, we've talked about Nico Young several times on this podcast, um, that uh, Nico Young is one of the best runners in NCAA um, and uh, is uh, running for the... Uh, University of Northern Arizona, Northern Arizona University. Lex Young broke the high school 5,000 meter record here in the United States uh, last month in late May by running 1334.96. Um, that record itself had only been set a couple of weeks earlier um, by another runner who beat Galen Rupp's, Rupp's record from about 15 or so years ago. 1334.96, Eric. Were we running that in high school? I can't quite remember.
2: I, was, <laughs> I, I ran about that pace, but I think it was for a 400. <laughs> right. Um, incredible. Incredible.
0: Um, by, by Lex Young. Um, and it's not as if his brother, Leo Young, is some sort of slouch. Leo Young broke the four minute mile as a high school junior. All right. What else? Uh, what else stood out to you, Michelle?
1: Yeah. I think, um, highlighting faith kipiegan's 1500 meter and 5,000 meter record. Um, I like faith. I mean, everybody likes faith and it's interesting because, you know, she took a little bit of time to start a family, um, come back to the sport and the 1500 was really incredible because even though she was so far ahead of everybody else, I mean, I would highly recommend watching that race. She, is kind of with the lights on the last lap and then she just storms ahead of them it was absolutely incredible there's nobody even in the camera watching her finish but the way that everybody that ran with her rallied around her mm-hmm. um I as agree. like the support and the congratulatory kind of um you know just just that atmosphere that kind of prevailed after she won that from everybody else and and then she came back what like a week later mm-hmm. um and set another record in the women's 5k mm-hmm. she hadn't run a 5k in I don't know years <laughs> um I, I've seen all this stuff like death taxes and faith could be a gun like the three <laughs> like the three most constant things that you can that you can think of but it's interesting because she said that she's undecided um, for worlds in Paris and that she does want to kind of take her career in the direction of the road marathon. Um, so it'll just really be fascinating to see what somebody with such a storied history, you know, on the track at the middle distance does when she does actually kind of make her move into the longer distance races. Um, for sure.
0: For sure. Yeah. She ran for again, the first woman ever to run under three fifty in the 1500 and then 1405. Is that what she ran for 5,000 meters?
1: Uh, it's just not it's like off the charts yeah like are we yeah. talking sub 14 minutes for a women's 5k now yeah. it's not we uh, are yeah i mean i know but that's yeah. not that's i didn't know oh, it's think, incredible
0: i agree yeah. but but yeah and so so it's not as if she was just kind of out there with the pacers and the and the wave lights by herself she was running with the current world record holder uh, or the current at the time now the former yeah. world record holder, uh latinzebet gide in that race and and gide was leading a lot of it until about the last 600 meters and then Faith Kipyagon, the world record holder in the 1,500 meters, took the lead and had more speed over the course of the last 600 meters, as you would expect, than the 5,000, 10,000-meter runner Gide did.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's I thought, at least for Gide, this is the first time that we had seen her race since mm-hmm. she basically collapsed like a mere meters before the finish line at World Cross right. last year. So, I mean, she's obviously an incredible form. It's great to see uh, that she's healthy and, you know, running – but she was just no match in that final lap.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Other kind of things that have stood out stood out to us. Um, we're going to talk about Caitlin Tui here in just a second. Um, Eric, you mentioned before when you were describing all the people that are that are stopping through your house that are their NC State soccer players. Uh, that that one of my thoughts was, you know, are, are we transforming into being fans of NC State here? Which I hope not. I'm actually going to give a shout out to a university of Georgia runner here on the podcast. No. Um, and that is a, that is actually an Atlanta local, a guy from Woodstock named Will Sumner, um, who is a true freshman at the university of Georgia, um, uh, from Woodstock high school, um, won the 800 meters at the NCAA championship unchallenged in an amazing fashion, led wire to wire, ran 144, Um, and, and it was never in doubt. Um, a super impressive performance from him uh, to win NCAAs. Um, he didn't run a whole lot in the early part of the season. Um, the university of Georgia coaches are clearly prepping him for uh, USA nationals um, where he'll be racing its pro runners and Dan, if he's not one of the favorites as a true freshman at the university of Georgia Woodstock high school grad go owls. I think that's what they are. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. They just announced also he's going to run on June 24th um, against Clayton Murphy and Bryce Hopple. So that's basically wow. the last two US champions versus this NCAA champion who's what, 20 years old, 19 years old? Like, yeah, um, that should be awesome. So Amazing. that's an, June yeah. 24th next weekend. Amazing. So, Amazing. yeah, yeah, he's yeah. definitely, um, it'll be interesting to see whether he stays, you know, NCAA or whether he goes pro. Um, but I guess a lot of that will depend on kind of what happens at USAs. So,
0: so Absolutely. Um, I said Woodstock owls. It's not. It's the Woodstock wolverines. So pardon me, Wilson. Um, wouldn't want to get that wrong. Wouldn't want to mistake an owl for a wolverine. That could be <laughs> catastrophic. Uh, let's talk about Caitlin Toey real quick. Um, uh, Caitlin Toohey, uh announced early on that she wanted to try and win both the 1500 and the 5000 meters at NCAA Outdoors. We've talked a lot about Caitlin Tuey, how... We doubted her several years ago, and I will never doubt her again, and she is certainly one of my favorite runners in the United States today. Um, And uh, she went into the 1500, does what she does, ran to the front of the race, made it a hard race, Um, but then all the pure 1500-meter runners kicked past her over the course of the last 150 uh, meters of the race. Um, The race ended up being won by... Uh, A runner from Harvard named Maya Ramsden um, and Caitlin Tui was seventh Um, and then 5,000 meters. Well, let's see how well she can rebound. She actually scratched out and didn't start. Um, And Parker Volby, who we've talked about on this podcast before from the university of Florida uh, ended up winning the 5,000 going away um, uh, mostly unchallenged as well. Um, What do you make of that Michelle?
1: Yeah. Caitlin looked awful in the 1500 meter rounds. Honestly, um, it was sort of shocking. She made it to the final, but she had to work really hard to clinch that spot in the final. Um, so I think that going for a double like this, especially when the races were back to back, I think she had to turn around and run a 5k uh, within an hour after finishing yeah. the 1500. I mean, that's that's totally baller. Like I think if you have the resume and you have the pedigree of Caitlin Tui, you can, she basically sacrificed one and essentially two NCAA titles um, for just the chance to go for something that nobody else had done. Right. She ran 1503 earlier in the year um, for the 5k. She would have been by far and large, you know, the favorite and probably would have just run away with that title. So I think the most impressive thing about this was after she quote unquote, bombed the 1500 meter file final. She went to her coach, Laurie Henness, and she said, like, I just I feel so awful. And she just she she was a do not start for the 5K. So I think when you have so much on the line, um, an NCAA championship, you know, a potential to move into the professional ranks and people looking at you and sponsorship deals to be able to just sit an athlete um, and to think about like what's actually best for Caitlin and her future um, in terms of like her long-term health and place to not start her. I just, I liked this coach before and I like her even more now. I was going to um, say, and, I mean, and, and, I that's, think, that's,
0: and that's kind of what we've talked about several times that, that all along yeah. the way, evidently Caitlin Tui has had coaches that are looking out for her in that way.
1: Yeah, and great. I think like, I think a lot of other NCAA coaches can also look at this and maybe like not not feel like they don't have to sacrifice their athlete for the place or the points now NC state was never, you know, in, in, in the game of potentially points for the outdoor championship as a team, but still, I mean, it, it just, it, it really bodes well for coaches being able to just kind of, if they, if, if they have this gut intuition, that this race is really going to be bad for the runner and the athlete, you know, team aside, and they focus on the person. I mean, that's, that's really what they should be doing. Hmm.
0: If they if, um, so, they, if they, put their athletes first, then winning will yeah. take care of itself ultimately. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think Caitlin has proven that over and over. And I think she drives a lot of, of what she does. And, um, even when she ran that 5k several weeks ago, she said that she had hoped to go much faster. So I think she's been on a bit of a, just, she, you know, she had a really, she did cross country. She did indoors won all the things it could be that. And it, uh, obviously, this is not their plan because you know she was really focused on the world's team. But it could be that it's just time for her to sit down, like to I don't rest. Know, maybe, may, yeah, like maybe she yeah. runs easy let, for let, two let, weeks. Let, let's make
0: clear what we're talking about. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Just to rest, right? Just yeah. shut her season down now. Um, but you know, I don't know. I feel like maybe she goes home and takes a, a week or two easy and tries a workout or two and sees how she feels, and then maybe they can reassess for USA's. I mean, I think. We were definitely planning on seeing her, you know, on those start lines, but she looked awful at NCAAs. So
2: Eric, um. so I get it that it was the right choice to not run the 5,000, but did the coaches make the right choice after the cross country season and the indoor season to even attempt this? The double you mean? Yeah. I mean, was, well, or was she wanted a, to, it doesn't matter. You're the coach. Right. Point taken. I mean, was it even executable to turn around after that and run the 5000? I given I mean, give given the meat schedule. Yeah. And you I know what the meat.
1: I think even given the meat schedule, like just given the fact that Caitlin Tui cannot run the 1500 the way that these other women can run it. Like, I don't think she was ever going to run. She was ever going to win the 1500, even in top form, honestly.
2: Okay, so you're just making my point even better. You're talking yeah, about I am. how great Sorry. the coaches are. Yeah, and I was yeah. actually expecting okay. you to argue with me. You know, it's like how great the coaches are for saying, yeah, you don't need to start the 5000 because it's better for your health, mental I know. and physical. Yeah. But really, I just, we, you guys started going back and forth about this in the chat and I stayed out of it because I was like, this is this is kind of dumb. She has. She does not have the the years of experience under her belt to execute this and mentally she, she doesn't have, she doesn't have the raw foot speed. Yeah. To, and to mentally coming, coming the from the 15 to run the 5,000, you know, that's not gonna. Yeah. So I, I would, I would just kind of looked at it as this is kind of a coaching fail from the start. <laughs> so point, so here, here's, here's, and I, I, I hear
0: you, I think, and I think that's an excellent point, Eric, I, he, my, on. my, my takeaway from it is that is that, Caitlin Toohey kind of feels like she's checked all the boxes and she's looking for new boxes to check. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like for her just to go out and win yet another 5,000 meter outdoor championship just kind of really wasn't enough. That didn't fire her up and that, that didn't really do anything for her. And so... When they're trying to say, well, you know, what's really motivating you? What's getting you excited? She says, well, nobody's ever done the 1500, 5000 double. How about if we try that? And they're like, yeah, okay, cool. And so, and, and that to me, and the reason why I bring it up is because I think that's a really good indication of where her mind is right now. Um, and, and to the degree that we want to predict what she's going to do next, she's looking for new challenges. I don't think she's going to stick around in the SAA. Because she's done everything there is to do inside the NCAA. She's set every record. She's won every championship. Um, she wants to to walk new paths and 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 go out on new adventures. I don't think she's gonna stay in the NCAA. I think she's gonna go pro.
1: So you don't think that this poor performance at NCAAs will affect whatever she was planning on doing next?
0: I don't think so. Um, because because I think that that um while while it seems like kind of a bummer to end such an illustrious college career in such a sour note, you can't let that, you can't like something like that. Negate uh,
2: everything else.
0: Yeah. And, and and influence your decision in a way that it, it shouldn't influence your decision. Like, I think I think that was probably like her pure emotion the next day. If you would ask, she's like, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna win everything next year. Like that probably would have been her emotion the next day. But I think over time, as that fades a little bit, I think she's going to say, no, you know, what do I really want to do? Well, I want to do things I haven't done before. Well, where can I do those sorts of things? Overseas. I can do them in different places. Like I've done everything I can do training here in Raleigh, running in Zinzibla. Yeah. I, I want I want to explore new areas.
1: That's It'll be right. interesting, you know, one of the the 400-meter, um, the other double that we had hoped to see was Britton Wilson from Arkansas, and she's mm-hmm. broken all the 400-meter flat and hurdle records this season. Um, and she also, not only did she not win one, she didn't she didn't win any. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's already, you know, she right the day after or a few days after announced signing with an agent um, and going pro. So it's interesting, you know, it was kind of a similarly disappointing NCAAs for both of them. Um, but mm-hmm. Britain's already kind of come out and been like, okay, well, this doesn't affect what I'm doing next. And, you know, I've signed with an agent and I'm looking forward to next steps. Right. It's been pretty quiet over at uh, NC state. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I, I was about to say it was a, it was a bad year to try and double, but then mm-hmm. I remembered that the men's <laughs> 5,000 and 10,000 meters were both won by the same guy from Stanford, yeah. uh, Kai Robinson. Um, and so Australian runner and a super amazing incredible performance from him and both of but those But not on races. the same day. Um not on the same day. Uh he they're about 48 hours apart. He ran the last uh the last 800 of the 10,000 meters in 154.
1: It's pretty crazy.
0: <laughs> As a collegiate runner. <laughs> um, I yeah, no. Speaking of things that we couldn't do in high school. There you go. Eric. I've never run a 800 and 154. Have you ever run an eight hundred two oh <laughs> four? <laughs> I have, but 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 that's a big difference. Yeah. Um. Um. All right. Um. I think we better wrap it up here. Um. Uh. We've talked about everything we could here. We didn't mention to to remind everybody to to read the book of the quarter. Uh. Uh. Choosing to run by Des Linden. Um, we didn't get a chance to talk about Eric's favorite new toy, the Normatech boots, uh, the recovery boots, but we'll definitely talk about those. Uh by the next time we all get together, I'll have my new favorite toy, the Zwift play controllers. And so we'll definitely talk about that as well. Um, but one thing we do make sure we do want to make sure we mention is uh about Ally on the Run. Um so fellow podcaster Ally on the Run, why don't you tell us about him Michelle?
1: Yeah, so um I'm uh avid Ally on the Run listener, as uh our many people in this world. She has um, typically the first or second most popular running podcast in America. Um, She was a little bit quiet for kind of really not that long, maybe a week or two. And then she released um, a solo episode and basically let everyone know that she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, Specifically, she has bilateral invasive ductal carcinoma. Um, It is, I believe, or at least as much as she's told us to this point. And she did release this solo podcast uh, prior to this past week, which seems to have brought a bit more bad news, but it does seem to be stage one. It does seem to be um, super treatable. It hasn't spread to the lymph nodes and she was facing what looked like a lumpectomy, but based on some test results that came this week, it does seem like she's going in for a double mastectomy with reconstructive surgery the first week in July. Um, I'll just say personally, like she, um, as somebody who owns their own business and kind of knows the, what the livelihood of the people, depending on that is like the first thing I did, um, like I didn't message her, you know, she was very clear. Like, I'm not, I have no idea if I can communicate or, um, but I think the outpouring of support has been incredible. I actually just went into Patreon and up to my subscription, Um, because I know like whatever she puts out is going to be worthy of me listening. And if I can just give her, you know, $25 a month instead of $10, I felt like I was just doing a little bit to support her. Um, she did release a link for a GoFundMe page today. When I saw it this morning, they had just posted it and it was asking for $20,000 to cover medical bills. I haven't been back into it today, but I imagine it's far uh, surpassed $20,000 at this point. But yeah, I mean, she's 38 years old. She's, got a daughter, um, you know, just kind of in the prime of doing her thing, um, and loving life. And this has got to be just earth world shattering. And, and she said it and I believe it, like she doesn't even, you know, there's denial and there's, is this actually happening to me? And is this my life? And, um, I just, you know, we can always, um, I guess support her in, in whatever way that, that you can. Um, whether the, that's just a download or a patreon contribution or a gofundme contribution i'm you know i'm i'm happy to help yeah. do what i can uh, yeah. it's going to be a rough I, I i assume you know once the surgery starts and then she goes right into chemo um, and then the next year is probably pretty terrifying for her so
0: for sure she has a lot in front of her oh yeah So, yeah. Um, So best wishes to her. Um, We, of course, uh, wish her a very speedy recovery um, and uh, hope that everything unfolds well, uh, or at least as well as it possibly can. Eric,
2: thanks for being with us, man. Always a joy. Good to see both of you. Good to talk to both of you, hear what's going on. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. Michelle, keep up the good strength work.
1: (laughs) Will do. Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, on Instagram at most Pleasant exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Be sure to share us with your friends. We're brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com. Their Twitter is at ITL Coaching, and their Facebook group is facebook.com slash ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them on Instagram at ITL Coaching. We're also proud to be sponsored by Elemental Altitude, Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com, on Instagram at Elemental Altitude, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Elemental Altitude. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at BluePineappleTravel.com, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash BluePineappleTravel, or on Instagram at BluePineappleTravel. And finally, High Echelon. You can find High Echelon at HighEchelonCPA.com. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We'll see you next time.